Let's talk about mesh networking technology, what it's good for, and how you can get started today. From revolutionary planning in Northeast Africa to basic chatting on your smartphone, when individuals can leverage the power of the internet without being tethered to centralized infrastructure, even the very threat of cutting off communications become less tempting for authorities. Mesh Networks, the decentralized alternative to the internet so good we don't even need it this week. Philosophers. Philosophers. All right, David. So this week we're going to be continuing our little series we've been doing for a while now called uh, <clears throat> Emerging Technologies That Make a Free Society Viable. Yes. So this week we had, what are we talking about? What are we talking about this week? This week we're, talk- we're going to talk about mesh networks mm-hmm. and because that, so the, the reason I think that this topic is relevant to making a free society viable is that um, the the big the big choke point for all of our fancy peer to peer internet enabled technology is the internet. It all relies on the internet. The internet is not totally centralized at a as a at a physical level, um, but it is it's it's federated, kinda, but it's still controlled by very few companies when you really consider it. Um, and this, this can be a, a single point of failure if these companies decide they don't like what you're doing on their infrastructure. Um, you know, so like if we, if we think about things that we've talked about, uh, before, uh, like with cryptography or also with blockchain technologies, um, you know, your, your internet service provider can, analyze your traffic and tell that you're using these these technologies and so uh, if they decide they don't like what you're doing you know maybe you're running a a full bitcoin node and that's using a ton of bandwidth and they're like well we don't like that on our on our infrastructure or uh, if the government outlaws certain types of crypto uh, cryptography i mean uh, you know then they can they can detect that you're using that and report you to the authorities or whatever um it, it, it creates this point of failure where we have, we have all these technologies that can make a free society viable, but they all fail if a few companies decide they don't want to actually have it on their network. So mesh networking is a way that we can create our own networks without having to set up really expensive infrastructure to, uh, to get us all connected. Right. And not only that, but I mean, to, to put this in perspective, so typically as a end user the the only people you really interact with when you're trying to gain internet access is your local service provider now they contribute to the actual physical infrastructure of the internet but they don't generally deal with the broader backbones so a good example of this is in your local area you might have two or three options which is still very limited um but when you're trying to talk about international, like, for example, there are thick cables that run under the ocean between the United States and Europe that actually exist to service the Internet. Those may not be owned by your Internet service providers. And in fact, a lot of this backbone is owned by only a handful of companies that do international. Yeah, the kind of companies that have the money to put a big thick wire across an entire ocean. Exactly. So it's not just worrying about your internet service provider, but their internet service provider. And uh, there's there's different, you know, it's a shell game. But at some point, all of this hardware is owned by 
someone. And there is only a small handful of companies uh, that own a very large percentage of this physical backbone that can just physically deny you access. So while it's not centralized in the way that there's one company, it's not a monopoly, but it's definitely kind of an oligopoly, if you will. There's, there's just a handful of uh, these providers. And that, that's the that's one of the problems and one of the things we're, we're trying to avoid um, in our criteria of looking for these technologies. So, um, so let's just get into what a mesh network is. So the high-level definition, like I guess layman definition would be it's a peer-to-peer wireless network. That's what we mean, at least, when we're talking about mesh networking in this sense. Um, and so good, let's go into that a little bit, David. What is a what, what is a peer-to-peer wireless network, you know? Sure. So peer-to-peer means that individual users on the network or nodes is the technical name for, for a device that's connected to the network talks directly to other peers on the network. Um, So in previous iterations of wired networks, we did things this way as well, where uh, devices could, well, actually, in fact, this still happens on your local wired network. If you, if you have one in your home, that your devices can talk to one another directly by their address. They don't have to go through a central authority. You can manually assign an address to each device and they can do this. But most users don't want to do this. It involves more uh, manual setup. But in a wireless network, um, we don't we don't have to worry about programming addresses per se. The devices can generate their own unique addresses, and then communicate directly with other nearby devices. Right, and and, and an analogy that I've been given to explain this is: all of the devices in your house are in the same neighborhood, like. They all are aware of each other's addresses and can just deliver mail into each other's mailboxes, if you will. That's the very like low tech way of explaining it. Yes. And where, but if you needed to, the difference between that and trying to talk to something else through the internet is, it, they have to leave their neighborhood and go on a, you know, essentially a freeway that might be different, and you may not know that address, and you have to go through some kind of delivery service. That knows get, how to find that place. Right. And or at least knows how to find somebody else who knows how to find that place. Right. And that's that's the centralized or more centralized service that we're trying to avoid peer-to-peer would just be me physically putting the mail in your own mailbox, not even hiring a middleman to go deliver it for me. It's Well, and and to be fair, in in a big mesh network, like if we're if we're actually trying to totally replace ISPs, which I don't I don't think is required for a free society, but it needs to be possible to do things without an ISP. Um, you don't you don't have to go directly to like if, if I want to send a message to somebody in India or something, you know, my device is not going to be able to send a signal strong enough to make it there and talk to their device. Um, so we can still leverage a mesh network to find another peer who knows how to get there. Right. The, the difference is we're not going to, it would be like me. I don't using, have to, I don't have to set up an agreement with a service to do this. We can just right. all get together and use our devices to find who needs finding. Right. Uh, instead of going through a central authority. So um, some, a familiar perhaps example uh, is this already happens with mesh Wi-Fi. Um, and y- you may have seen these devices and you may have some familiarity with these devices. If not, the next time you're in any kind of 
store that sells electronic appliances, be it your local Walmart, Aldi, whatever. Um, if you go to the uh, computer hardware section, uh, you will see these devices that they look like tiny little routers that plug into an outlet and have antennae on them. Maybe uh, they may just not, they may not. But what these are doing is they are not physically connected to your main router or your modem. Um, but instead they have a Wi-Fi receiver and you set them up to talk to your modem and then they essentially just relay messages that they get. And so in effect, they're serving as your peer in this case. So if your modem is in the living room uh, and your bedroom is at the opposite end of the house, the signal might be weak. So you can install this mesh node halfway down the house in a hallway, for example. And then when you're trying to talk to your router to send a message or whatever, it'll actually go through the new peer you have in the hallway who you do have better connectivity with and they will pick up your message and then relay it along to uh, the modem which they'll then send it on over the internet uh, this is a localized mesh network um, right but we can we can blow this up to a big scale so let's let's take my goal of talking to my friend in India again um, you know it it may not be it may not be feasible for me to find a a physical chain of peers that can take me on a path all the way to India because you're going to have to go, you know, from in the United States, you're going to have to go the, the shortest route is going to be up North through Canada to Alaska across the Strait into Russia and then down to India somehow. There's some pretty sparsely populated areas up that way. It may not physically be possible to find a chain that can do it, but I don't necessarily need to do that. If my problem is that, the local authorities are conspiring to not let me talk to my friend in India. I don't have to find my friend in India. I have to find somebody else who doesn't answer to those authorities. Right. I may only need to make it into, say, Canada, where there's a different ISP who doesn't care. And then they can get onto the main internet, and then we're back in business. Right. Essentially, what this is doing is eliminating the ability for your local or regional ISPs to have any kind of effect, or even large broad authorities that don't typically manage that kind of traffic anyway and would make it to where any type of and we've seen this before um a good example is uh the, the great chinese firewall for example um fire this this firewall uh, which is ran by the uh i almost call it the people's republic of china i don't know if that's what it is it's the name of the country okay so but yeah whatever the government it was, would be called i guess the uh, the the CCP they're called the Chinese Communist Party yeah is that what you mean yeah that's what I mean so they manage this firewall and their goal has been to keep internet traffic from outside of China regulated and so that would be an example of a hostile potentially uh, service provider um, that doesn't want you to send messages about certain dates times and events outside the firewall so right. or to talk about them to people well yeah the, the thing they're most concerned is information getting in. That's true. They're trying to censor. Right. So instead, and that and that's doable when you control all of the physical lines that come in. But for example, you could you could own with this type of technology, you could be in a neighboring country, there are many, and just have a cell tower that can broadcast signal across, you know, no geographical or physical boundaries required. Right. And as long as you can talk to one person and then there is a 
chain of people that can get to the person who actually wants to find this information, it would be possible. So we're not necessarily talking about forming like a human handholding bridge across the world to talk to each other. Right. It's just getting to the next point where someone can talk to the person you're looking to talk to. And when we say talk to, we don't just mean actually like send messages. We mean exchange any information, which can include things like being able to do financial transactions or, you know, access forums to discuss things or, or whatever. Exactly. So, um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, because we'd originally set out as a criteria for these emerging technologies um, that encourage a free society that they needed to be de- decentralized and they need to be widely available. So uh, we kind of hinted on how they're decentralized already. Like peer-to-peer networks by their very nature are decentralized. Right. That's what it means to be peer-to-peer. Right. Um, even if you are going through central authorities. Actually, I guess that's not necessarily true because there are some peer-to-peer services that first rely on a central server to i to identify the peers right and to form that little hand but a truly a truly peer-to-peer system the peers can find one another right um so that's pretty self-explanatory i think by the nature of this technology very similar to how we had talked about blockchains uh, in our last episode Mm -hmm. um so let's talk a little bit about availability like and and in this case would be how do you get your hands on this type of technology right we mentioned one thing with with mesh Wi-Fi, you can go buy a thing at your local electronics store to, to do it. But um, you can also do this stuff just with your plain old smartphone. Right. Um, and, and in fact, just about any smartphone uh, that has Bluetooth and two-way, I don't know if it has to be duplex Wi-Fi, but the ability to send and receive Wi-Fi signals. Um, yeah. Well, it, it, it also, that sort of comes down to a software issue too. Um so, yeah, you don't have to have full duplex Wi-Fi. It's fine uh, if you can if you can't send and receive at the same time as so long as you can send and then receive. Um, but your phone's software needs to support Wi-Fi direct if you want to use that. Wi-Fi without a central uh, router to assign addresses and things like that. Right, which I believe Bluetooth already doesn't need this interface. Anyone who's used Bluetooth... Bluetooth is peer-to-peer. Yeah, uh, so that... Y- either or in this case you don't necessarily need both Um, but bluetooth has limitations that wi-fi doesn't so it's better to use wi-fi if you can right um so this is shipping with smartphones um and modern circa 2020 smartphones even and even further back than that really um but any smartphone that is produced new really in 2020 can can do this for by the most part like i'm not going to sit here and claim that they all can because i'm sure someone will find an example that can't but i guess but i i could not find a smartphone that doesn't have bluetooth and wi-fi controllers well i mean like wi-fi direct though oh wi-fi direct okay yeah wi-fi direct has been around for um, i don't know i want to say around like 10 years or something like that so it's it's propagated through yeah you're gonna find it um I don't I don't know about iOS. I don't know if iOS does Wi-Fi direct, but I know like every modern version of Android supports it. Yeah. And uh and not even your flagship phones like you can you can probably achieve these capabilities on a very affordable device. Um so as far as being available, I would consider that I would say that having a cell phone is almost a requirement now. Uh for it's an essential device um yeah uh and and even you know and and even in developing nations 
you know, it is more common for a person to have a smartphone than it is for them to have a traditional computer. Right. Uh, which is kind of strange because, you know, it, well, it feels strange anyway it, to us in, in like the United States and other first world nations where, you know, the computer was the thing that was available first. So people, so everyone has them. Right. And, and then smartphones are available. Well, these things were both made available to the public at least, or at least accessible in these places at about the same time. And, a, and a smartphone is way more useful out of the box. Mm-hmm. Well, it's cheaper, more useful. It, it, it has, it has more physical functions than a traditional computer does. And it fits in your pocket. Right. Um, it has a battery that probably lasts longer than most laptops as well, especially you can at least achieve that. Right. Um, yeah, way more useful uh, on a day to day basis. Um, so I would say that it is at this point nearly universally available. Um, and if it isn't available in an area, making it available is very easy, especially, um, and that's another benefit, I guess, that mesh networks would have under the availability category. They don't require necessarily the same type of network infrastructure that we are used to in developed nations. Like it isn't very common for us in, in developed nations to see cell towers all over the place. And it, you know, there, there's this idea that, well, if the cell towers go down, I won't be able to make cell phone calls because I can't talk to the tower. Well, but this technology goes around that. You don't need the cell phone tower. So in fact, in some developing nations, this would be even more uh, incentivized than it is in first world countries where you may not have that. And there's an interesting anecdote for that as well. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about this event. If you don't know what the Arab Spring is, um, that's a whole subject all into itself. But essentially, it was a, I don't know if you would call it a soft revolution of Arab nations across the the Arab world, mainly in uh, Saharan Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, the North Africa, that whole area, which is predominantly uh, uh, majority Muslim or Islamic, and then into the Middle East. Um and one of the big hot zones of this was um, the Egyptian revolution that occurred. Uh, I don't know the exact dates, but a few years back at this point. Um, so one of the things that it's a, it's the typical run of the mill story. You have a general slash dictator who is refusing to leave office and people want to move more towards a democratic system of government. That's, that's kind of the high level 50,000 feet view. I know it's not that simple, but that is a topic for a different time. The point is, though, this this government, which was being tyrannical at this point, had control of all of the cell towers in the country. And at one point actually disabled them to prevent, uh, in, in the attempt to stop these mass organizations of people uh, who were trying to organize protests and things like that. And we're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people at this point, trying to organize in this country. Um, so their goal was to take down the centralized way of communicating. Well, examples of this technology were used to allow these people to coordinate even in the absence of a centralized authority to effectively resolve the situation in their favor. They were still able to coordinate uh, in the absence. Like there were some hiccups, of course, but uh, and there are stories of people being able to form these chains of of mesh networks all the way to border cities that could actually talk outside the country all the way to Israel and which, which, which had internet that was available and wasn't monitored. Yeah. It's the the same situation as, as my hypothetical one Mm -hmm. from earlier. You don't need to get across the world. You just need to get to the nearest internet connection. 
Right. That, and what, will, that will respect your traffic. And we're not talking like some shady chat app. They, they were using this to just access things like Twitter, you know, through the internet via the mesh network. So, yeah. And, and, and that's an excellent use case for how this technology, it, even you wouldn't necessarily, the, the fact that this technology can do this is what's incentivizing a free society. Companies that, and, and, and entities that do operate centralized networks are less incentivized to disable them when there is an alternative that is just as easy. Um, exactly. As well. Yeah. It's, it's sort of a, uh, it's, it's another one of those situations where because retaliation is so easy, why even bother provoking? Right. Um, it just makes it can stop a fight before a fight even starts, which in a lot of ways, you know, are used to de-escalate situations. You know, um, a a good example is, uh, like trying to it it would be like bringing a battering ram to a steel vault door. You you, you can. But the fact that it's immune to that and would go around it just makes it something that you just wouldn't do. You know, it, it, if it's resilient to your attempt, why would you even attempt? That That's the kind of thing. You would move to something else or try to come up with a different solution. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the goal with this is that we we don't want to do that anymore. And, and in the case of this technology, and it, any attempt to try to suppress a mesh network would be much more difficult um, no, you'd have to go out there with uh, with a fancy radio receiving uh, tech and track down every single phone that's on that's part of the network. No, no, you wouldn't even have to do that. You could jam the signals is one thing you could well, do. Well, yeah, you could do that, but that's expensive and very difficult to do. Well, and it only affects a local area for right. however however powerful a transmitter you can get. But I mean, like, take the example in Egypt. If they wanted to achieve the same outcome that they were trying well, to achieve by shutting off this, uh, just by shutting off the yeah. towers, the, in the way they thought it would work, the only way to achieve that exact same, you know, desired outcome would be to install jammers everywhere to completely suppress. Right. And then, of course, you're running into another problem. First of all, where do you... How, how do you actually set up all these jammers to run continuously? And they'd have to run continuously. You can't have breaks at night or people will find a way to get their packets out. And also, you need to run these on really high power. And now you're running into the problem where you're actually cooking people with microwaves. So, <laughs> Right. It, it just makes it to where these solutions are very, very difficult. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I'm sure that there could be some new technology that would make this more difficult. But... That that's the same story of the ever running arms race between groups of people. Um, and the difference in this scenario is that you can leverage the fact that there will be many more people in the you know non-select group attempting to perform some type of tyranny because very very seldom is it the majority attempting to try to construct some form of tyrannical you know government or entity it happens sometimes but it's it's rarer uh a lot of the time it's a small group wielding a lot of power over a a, a much larger group of disaffected uh, or at least initially disaffected people so th this would make it a lot more difficult to do that so uh that's an example of when this technology was used and when it could be useful and i think i'm going to turn it over to you to talk a little bit about an example of this technology that you could you could use today if you so chose 
Yeah, so this is not quite uh, this this uh, this program I'm going to tell you about. Um, it it has a little ways to go to be you know quite powerful enough to be used for the situation that we just described, but it's a nice thing to uh, that you, that you can use in your local area at least. And it's available now with very minimal setup. Like you could, it's an app that you can download and run. For example, right? Uh, you don't you don't have to do you you could set up a true mesh network like they did in Egypt, but it's more contrived and difficult so this is like that it's getting to that point of complexity but it's also simple as a package to use so right and, and it could be as simple as a software update to make it a lot more powerful um so this program is called briar b-r-i-a-r um it is a it is an android app only so sorry iphone users uh you don't get to have freedom today um but you never did anyway <laughs> so uh briar is a is a mesh networking messaging app. Um, that's its, that's its basic function. It also has some uh, microblogging forum type stuff too, but that's more of a work in progress type thing. Mostly, it's for messaging. Um, so the the way it works is you you need to meet up with, with okay. The most basic way to pair up with folks is to have them install the app as well. You meet up in person. You can exchange some codes based on things you can scan with your camera. And then that adds them as a contact and it, it trusts them. You know who they are because you've exchanged encryption keys. We talked about that two episodes ago. Strong cryptography, if you don't understand encryption keys. Anyway, you're exchanging encryption keys doing that. Um, you can add contacts remotely as well if they can share their public key to you through some other way. Um, and then from there on... There are three basic ways that the app can connect users to one another. Uh, the most basic, which works without any infrastructure whatsoever, is Bluetooth. So if you both have your Bluetooth turned on, then it can you, you can talk truly peer-to-peer uh, over, over Bluetooth. The limits of Bluetooth is uh, that the transmitters used in Bluetooth are not very strong. So you're probably only going to be talking across the room to one another if you're doing this. Or, and this is kind of another aspect of it, say David and I both have this installed, but I'm wanting to talk to David's neighbor. I could send a message to David's neighbor, quote, but because David's also on the mesh network and he's the only person I have available, it will talk to David and say, here's the message, but it's not for you, it's for someone else. And David won't even know that he has this message, really, because it's not addressed to him. And then when he gets home... If he's close enough to his neighbor, then the message will jump from David to the neighbor. It doesn't quite work like that yet, but I would like it to. Um, it works like that for your microblog posts. If we have if we have common contacts, then I, I will hold your message. I will hold your blog post and then send that to the next peer. But it doesn't work for private messages yet. Uh Presum- it, presumably the reason for that is they assume okay well maybe you joe have ten thousand contacts that you're sending messages to and i don't want to hold all your traffic that i may never be able to pass fair. that's the implementation detail that's hanging that up right now but anyway but in principle a system could work like that um and Bri- briar could and i think it would be a good thing if it did but right you can you can use that to pass along traffic if we share contacts in common and the microblogging feature works for that. If we're if we're just trying to organize a big public event, that works. Um, it just doesn't work for private person-to-person messages for that just yet. So the second way that it can connect is on a local Wi-Fi network. Um, so 
this is if we're if we're both on the same local wireless network, then we can talk over that. So that expands our distance. If we're in an area with good Wi-Fi coverage, then we can talk from farther away without having to go over the internet and talk to a server to be able to do that. And the third way is over the internet via Tor, which we talked about previously. When we talked about cryptography, we talked about onion routing a little bit. So Briar can also connect over Tor. So if you're in a completely different place, so long as you can access Tor, then it we can we can pass traffic that way too. So that's that's not truly peer to peer anymore, but it's as close to peer to peer as you can get with internet infrastructure. Right, and I think that that is a good example of how I think these systems would realistically be implemented, uh, because true peer to peer can be very inconvenient um, when it's not necessary. If you have a better way to to connect. Uh, by all means, I don't think there's anything wrong with using that. But just by having the fallback of being able to perform truly peer-to-peer, I think is all that it's all that's necessary. To, to go back to what we had talked about a moment ago with providing, you know, or disincentivizing any type of, you know, messing about. So, um, I I think it's a very interesting application. Um, it's fun to try out it's 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 uh especially if you have a friend to do it with um and yeah, or a group of friends or a group of friends yeah it's it's very interesting and uh it, it, i think it's just an excellent implementation i, so I think far. i think it's a cool it's a cool thing that they implemented uh public key cryptography with trust levels as well based on how you added people right so like the people that you add in person are considered the most trusted because you actually met them in person and verify their identity by looking at them as you exchange keys um so what what this can also be done for so so one one uh, operational security thing to keep in mind if you're if you're going to actually do this stuff is a thing that is very handy to have set up in advance is a web of trust. Um, so this is a fancy public key cryptography term, but basically add your contacts now and exchange your keys now. So that in the future, if your communications are cut off, it, where you don't have direct access to one another anymore, you can still verify signatures actually came from the people that you're that that claim are sending them. Right, and and that so Briar enables this as well, since you're already exchanging keys and setting trust levels in person. Later, if you get a message, you know it's really from them and the person that you trust. And that touches also a little bit back on our episode when we talked about PGP and strong cryptography. It's not just about sending messages that only the recip- the intended recipient can receive. It's also about identifying the actual person that you believe sent the message, sent the message. Um, and and we talked a little bit about that then. And also we hinted on it again when we talked about blockchains is for verifying transactions. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also applicable here because when you're operating in these mesh networks, it, it's... You know, the internet, I hear a lot people try to make analogies to brick and mortar on how internets work. And and what I mean by that is people will take, oh, it's like, and I did it earlier, you know, oh, we're in the same neighborhood. I can just walk to your house. Like, while those can be decent for illustrating points, they really don't, I think, translate what the, how different the environment is when you're trying to connect in, in network via something like the internet. Uh, a good example that I think I may have used when we talked about strong cryptography is that, you know, it, here's a good example where it breaks down. So people will often compare using things like a VPN, which you see ads for all the time, to 
simply safe locking up your house you know install smart door locks and strong locks and window locks and all this stuff but the the, the difference there is that in brick and mortar in the real world the person that's breaking into your house is breaking into one house at a time and they have to know who to target the difference is on on the internet it, it's not about breaking into specific houses most of the time it's let me kick all the doors at once and see which ones come flying open and then I'm going to rob those instead. That's that's a better analogy. Like imagine the robber who's trying to rob your house can run up and kick every door in the world at the same time. Well, well, within a matter of minutes. Yeah. yeah. And then just see which ones open up. It's it, you know, that that's a good analogy for how it's different, I think. And th- and that's true too when it comes to impersonations. On the internet, you are just a number and you're you're this data entity. You're it's not like seeing something with your own eyes exact copies can be made you know and if you want to see how you get around that again please revisit our episode on strong cryptography which does this so trust on the internet and and i think anybody who was ever took a class in school knows that you don't give out information about yourself on the internet for these reasons you know it, it, it is very easy to impersonate a different person you know we've all heard the stories and there's even been culture defining terms like the term catfishing where someone pretends to be an entirely different person in order to gain the affection of someone else or to interact with someone else and while we think that's weird and creepy and it's because that is so difficult to pull off in real life it's it there's a term for it because it happens enough because it can happen yeah it's trivial exactly so i think that's a good thing to keep bring up as well i agree about how briar can get around this by letting you know, hey, you have a trusted signature, but you've never met this person who sent you this message, just reminding you of that. Um, Or it'll also let you know if you've never met this person, if you have a person in common. Um, A good example, we've had a guest on the show before. We aired that episode, right? Yes. Okay, so his name, we went by Apotheon. Mm -hmm. Um, Until that time, I had never met him in person, but I believe you had. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that... I've met you in person and you've met him in person forms that like intermediate layer of trust. And so a web of trust can be constructed like that of, right. You have your most trusted for the people that you've exchanged and signed keys in person. And then you have this spectrum in the middle of people that everyone, you know, and trust also trust this person. You're the only one who hasn't met that person. That's like the highest degree of trust without meeting them in person. Mm -hmm all the way down to only one of the people I've met in person and trust has met this person, but no one else has. That's a little more suspicious. And then the outer ring of no one's ever met this person in person. So there is no actual verification. And granted, I understand there's, there's always the social engineering aspect, but we also touched on that when we talked about strong cryptography, which yeah, yeah, we don't need to rehash that. So, and that's another good thing. And mesh networking, I think really highlights that's a good example of how what we discussed then an application in which it's very important to know these things. So, but yeah, that's a, that's all I have really for, for mesh networking. It's not a super complicated concept, but it's a very powerful, simple, but powerful, much like the other things in this list uh, so far uh, technology that I think absolutely encourages a more free society or a free society. I agree. Uh, I don't really have anything else to add either, so this will be a short episode. Yes. Um, but yeah, we have nothing else to add. Philosophers. Philosophers. 
If you like the music in this episode, please check out Jippy on Bandcamp at jippy.bandcamp.com. Philosophers is supported by viewers like you. If there's a topic you'd like us to discuss, or a topic you'd like to see revisited in the future, please let us know by contacting us using the methods in the description, or in the comments below. Thank you for listening.